0: Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Hey, good morning. My name is Jason, and I am a member here at the church, so like uh, most of you, I'm sitting in, uh, in a service. I'm actually usually typically sitting on that side right over there with my wife in the last service, uh, but it's always good to be here and good to be with you all, uh, and it's interesting how we do use titles to kind of describe ourselves. You know, I immediately jump to my name, you know, the fact that I'm married, uh, I work at Christ in Youth, and I don't know what it is about us. It's kind of how we, how we describe ourselves. Uh, I even know... Uh, in the book of Mark, we'll be in today. There's a moment where Jesus asks that question, and uh, in fact, you get your Bibles. Look at look at Mark chapter eight. Uh, we're at a really interesting point uh, in this study we're doing. Appreciate so much what uh, Christian Mark Christian and uh, uh, Michael DeFazio have had to say, and uh, and I'm honored just to be uh, a pinch hitter today, coming up and, uh, and kind of covering why Mark's gone. But this is really a fascinating text that we're in today. And uh, it really marks what, I, in my opinion, is really this tipping point in the entire gospel. Everything from this point on is going to be a dead sprint to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so today is, is really the whole turning point. In my opinion, it's the turning point in the entire book of Mark. And uh, if you get your Bibles, Mark chapter 8, um, it, it makes this statement uh, when Jesus says, you know, uh, ask the question, you know, who do people say that I am? Uh, in Verse 27. And I find it interesting how we use titles to kind of tell who we are. And our title, it, it really begins to tell our story. Like I was saying, for me, you know, my name is Jason. Uh, I'm a dad. So immediately, some of you guys are like, oh, okay. Uh, we begin kind of compartmentalizing our lives or trying to figure people out. You put a, a group of guys, you know, if we're all waiting to get our tires changed at a you know, tire shop, you put us in there, we immediately go to three questions. Who are you? you know, what do you do and what do you like to do? We, we, we let titles and categories start sorting out who people are. And I don't know what your title is, but I would imagine your title tells your story. For some of you, your dad. For some of you in the room, your mom. And again, that title can tell your story. And for some of you, that is a great story. It's a brand new story. For some of you, that's a story of loss. Uh, it's a story of what was what supposed to be, but but it didn't turn out the way you had planned it. Or for some of you, it may be a story of it's Thanksgiving and there's an empty seat because you've got one kid in your family that just doesn't make the decisions you want them to make. And, And again, that title, it tells your story. Perhaps your husband, and you're like me, and you completely blew Valentine's Day. Or maybe your title is wife. I don't know. Maybe your title is sister. Maybe your title is brother. Maybe the title you hold on to dearly is the title of son or daughter. But your title, it, it does, it, it tells your story. Whether your title is married, or especially yesterday, your title will tell your story, if your title is single. I can guarantee you, if you get the title of separated, you get a title that tells a story. And if your, your title is divorced, there's no doubt. And if we could pull our, our chairs till we face one another, and your title is widow. And I could hear you tell me your story. I guarantee your title of widow would carry and tell your story. I I don't know what your title is. Maybe your title is that you're employed or maybe you're unemployed. Maybe your title is that you're an accountant, you're a doctor, you're a nurse. Maybe you're you're a builder or a teacher. Your title is you're a stay-at-home mom. But again, your title tells your story. Maybe you're wealthy. Maybe you're successful. Or maybe in this moment, you really find yourself being defined as a failure Maybe you look at your life and you say, man, I'm a, I'm a dropout. I'm a graduate. Maybe your title is that you're smart. Or maybe at some point in time somebody labeled a title on you and they just called you stupid. And I would imagine that moment your title has told your story. I don't know if you happen to be an athlete or maybe a coach, whether it be at the peewee level or the big leagues. I I don't know. Maybe in high school you were an absolute beast and you get the rings to prove it. Or maybe, truth of the matter is, you get the rings, but let's be honest, you know you. You're a whole lot like me. You're much more of a bench warmer. You know, I don't know. Maybe you're funny. Maybe your title is serious. Or I can tell you one of my titles. uh, I'm actually an introvert. Uh, I just, it's just who I am. I go to a party wondering when we get to leave. Yeah, that's a lot of fun, huh? My wife is an extrovert. She goes to a party wondering how long we get to stay. Her her title tells her story. She can't leave Target without three new friends. We come to church here, and that woman, I'll tell you, I love it. She is talking to everyone. In fact, everyone in this room probably, oh, I know Janice French. That's his wife. Oh, yeah, we've met. My wife knows everyone. And again, her title, it tells her story, and I love that about her. I don't know if you are a lover or maybe there is a certain cemetery you drive by and your title of lost, again, that title, it tells your story. Maybe you're a survivor and you face cancer or maybe you've lost something so dear that trying to find the words to even describe it is too impossible for you and you'd use the word sad. Because you've lost a child, a grandchild, or you've lost a relative, or you've lost a spouse. And again, that title in that moment tells your story. And I don't know. I don't know if your title is saint. I don't know if your title is sinner. But I guarantee we, something we all have in common. Our titles, they tell our story. Jesus has this moment where he looks at the disciples And he asks this question. In Mark chapter 8, verse 27, Jesus and the disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. He says, uh, on the way he asked them, who do people say that I am? And the reply, some said John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. Here's the deal. I don't think they're like grasping at straws here. Like, I don't know. We don't know who you are. I really think these are probably somewhat like logical, conclusions on their part. They're kind of jumping to things. Uh, you know, John the Baptist, that's probably coming from Herod. You know, he's like, I thought we'd beheaded that guy. Why is somebody still preaching about it? You know, maybe Elijah, you know, he doesn't really die, kind of goes out. You know, some of the, the ideas are that Elijah would make, a, would make another return. And so maybe he's Elijah or one of the prophets. For 400 years, they've waited on a prophet from God to return to Israel. It's been silent for 400 years. So they say, some say that, that you're a prophet. And so then Jesus does something absolutely amazing as he finds himself as far from Jerusalem as he'll really get, he turns and he looks at these guys because they've got a long march to Calvary. They've got a long march to an empty tomb. And as they're sitting here in Caesarea Philippi, he looks at these and he says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And I think in this moment, his title, I think it tells a story. God goes by uh, a lot of, of different names. Now, don't, I'm not saying there's a lot of different gods, don't, don't get confused by that. Um, but there's a lot of names that God used in the Old Testament to tell who he was and to tell his story. And I think in that moment when Jesus looks at these men, he says, hey, who do you say that I am? I want to press pause and I want to picture these guys out in a rural setting, 12 of them, maybe more people just kind of hanging out following Jesus around. There could have been a multitude of people that were just followers of him as a teacher. But in this moment, he, he looks at them, he says, well, who do, who do you say that I am? And I want to press pause on whatever's playing on this moment on Netflix, and we want to freeze this frame for a second, and I want to kind of crawl inside, and I wonder what the mind of Jesus is thinking. I wonder if he says, I wonder what they're going to call me. I wonder if he wonders, what's the response going to be? He looks at him, and I think at first he wonders, will they call me the title that I originally started with, the very first title, that I was Jehovah. I was Yahweh in the book of Genesis. You find it revealed in chapter 2 when, when God reveals himself in creation. You see him being this, this God who brings something out of nothing, makes something utterly beautiful in this world. He forms and fashions oceans and mountains and animals and he calls himself Jehovah. And this name, this name was so sacred that they wouldn't even write all of it. They would only write these four letters. The phrase we use is called tetragrammaton, And Tetragrammaton, what it means is the, the, essentially what it means is that this, this name is so holy that, that we've lost the ability to even know exactly how to pronounce it. They wouldn't write it all down. Like for me to stand up and say Jehovah to even utter that, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have done that. They were so concerned that with a text like Exodus chapter 20, you know, to not misuse the name of God, they respected that so much that they were so careful about even saying his name. His name was so special and so sacred that if they had to write it, they wouldn't even write the full name. They'd just write these letters right here, Y-H-W-H. They wouldn't speak it, but if they had to write it, you know, it's, it's in the Old Testament thousands of times. If, if it's in there, they wouldn't actually articulate it. they just write four letters. Four letters is all they put in there. They wouldn't even put in the vowel markings. They just put in those four letters because it was so holy, they couldn't see themselves writing all of it. And then after they did that, they would literally go out, they'd wash their entire body, wash all of their clothes, go grab a brand new pen, and then come back and begin transcribing again. So like, think of a verse that's got the, the, the word, you know, Jehovah or Yahweh in it four or five times. They wouldn't finish that verse until they'd written it, bathed themselves, washed their clothes, got a new pen, went back to writing. Then the Lord said, Bathe themselves, wash your clothes, write it again. And the Lord, every time, because that name was so holy, that, that name really gets unpacked with Moses. Moses is being called in to, to go lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. Some of you guys know that story. You know, Pharaoh has held them captive. You know, they've been in bondage. They're slaves to Egypt. And, and God says, Moses, I'm going to send you, and I want you to lead them out. And in that moment, Moses says, well, what do you mean? He's like, go tell him to let him go. Well, who am I supposed to say sent me? And he says, you just tell him I am sent you. Moses is like, what? You look at him and say, I am. Has sent you to understand the the rich, you know meaning of that name Jehovah. It means I am, I am here, I am, I was, and I always will be. I am omnipresent. I am everywhere, and I know everything. All things were built by me and same, sustained in me. I am. God says, I am Jehovah, and just the phrase I am in Greek it'd be ego and me. It just that phrase is so rich and so thick, I am who I am, I am that I am, was enough that Moses knew, whew, okay, I am has sent me. But God reveals himself in that name, and I wonder if Jesus in that moment looks at him and says, well, they call me Jehovah. Or maybe Jesus wonders, if the title tells our story, Jesus says, I wonder if they're going to call me in this moment Jehovah, Jehovah Jireh, will they call me that? Maybe the name is he looks around at these guys and he says, well, who do you say that I am? In Jesus' mind, he's like, maybe they're going to call me Jehovah-Jireh. Because I remember that day when Abraham climbed that Mount Moriah. And I remember when he took his only begotten son and he took Isaac up on top of that mountain. Maybe they're going to call me Jehovah-Jireh because up on that mountain, as Abraham wraps up his son, and Abraham's over 100 years old, got this teenage son, wraps his, ties his son up, lays him on the altar prepares to sacrifice his own son, raises a knife up in the air, and God says, stop, I've given you you a ram. I've given you something to provide for you. Let the boy go. And in that moment, Abraham says, your name is Jehovah-Jireh, because what we needed was a sacrifice, and you provided it. What we needed was someone to provide. Your name is I am the provider. You are Jehovah-Jireh. And I wonder if Jesus looks at him and says, do they know who I am? Do you know who I am? Who do you say that I am? Do you even know that I am Jehovah Jireh, the provider? I wonder if Jesus looks at him and says, do they know that I am Jehovah Mekedishim? I mean, this was a moment where God wanted to be near his people. But because, kind of like us, I don't know about you, but man, I'm pretty screwed up on any given day. And I imagine if most of you are pretty honest, you're like, yep, that's me, uh-huh. You know, for me, to, to live in holiness is a constant work, man. That's a lot of effort. And, and my effort doesn't seem to get me much because I keep going back to the same stupid things. And God saw that. He saw that in his people and he's like, you guys, you can't even find a way to make yourselves holy. You just can't. I am holy. And so God says, I will make you holy because you're impossible at doing it on your own. So he says, I am Jehovah Mekedishim. I am the one who makes you holy. And he provided a way. He provided a way in the Old Testament for them to be made holy. He provided a way through the sacrifices and burnt offerings for them to be made holy when they were incapable of doing it themselves. And so now these guys in the book of Mark now sit around Jesus and you press pause in this moment. I wonder if Jesus says, I wonder if they'll call me Jehovah Mokadishkin. Do they understand that I'm the one that can make them holy? Do they know who I am? Because your title tells your story. Or maybe just maybe, they'll call him Jehovah Nisi. Ah, oh, this is a rich one. This is that moment in the, uh, the book of uh, Exodus where the Amalekites, you know, and th- the people that you want to boo, the Amalekites are just a cruel people. When Israel was, was leaving, they would come along behind them and they would kill off anybody who was slow, anybody who was weak, I mean, you can imagine the elderly, you know, the sick, the weak, as you're moving hundreds of thousands of people out of Egypt, the Amalekites would sweep in and just wipe out anyone who couldn't keep up, just slaughter them. I mean, they hated the Amalekites. And there's this moment where they go to war and the Amalekites and the Israelites are fighting one another. And Moses is standing up on top of this hill. Joshua is leading in battle. And in the midst of this battle, that's just raging. Moses just holds his hands up to God and he cries out to God. And when he holds his hands up, all of a sudden the battle turns. All of a sudden, he's watching as he's crying out to God in prayer. He's looking at him. The battle turns, and Israel begins winning. Israel begins defeating the Malachites. And all of a sudden, his arms get kind of tired and weary, and he drops them back down to his side. And then all of a sudden, the battle turns, and the Amalekites start winning. And then Moses lifts his arms back up, and he stretches them out. And again, the Israelites begin winning. And every time his arms would grow weary and fate, they'd start to go down. Israel would lose. And so finally, Aaron and Hur grab his arms, and they hold them up, and they lift them up until Israel is completely able to to wipe out and beat the Amalekites. And in that moment, in that moment, said, uh, Moses says, You are Jehovah Nisi, you are our banner. You are the one who carries us in battle. Through your outstretched arms, what you've done, we have won, we have a victory. One of Jesus ever looked at them and said, Do they realize that arms lifted can win a war? Who do you say that I am? Do you even know? as he looked at these guys in the book of Mark, do you know who I am? I am Jehovah Nisi. And my title tells my story. Or maybe he looked at them and he says, do you know that I am Jehovah Rapha? There was some waters. Israelites are wandering through the desert. They came to this area of water. They were thirsty, dehydrated, dying of thirst. And as they get there, these waters of Marah, they flood into this, this body of water, start drinking it. As they take this drink, it's, it's bitter, it's bad, it's going to kill them. And they realize we can't drink this. We can't go anywhere else. We're going to die. You know, have you let us out here to die? They're terrified. Middle of the desert, nothing to drink. And finally, God tells Moses, Moses, grab that tree over there and go throw it on the water. So Moses goes, he grabs a tree, he throws it in the water and all of a sudden this bitterness that was killing them, this bitterness that would have eaten them alive from the inside out is now turned sweet because of a tree. That all of a sudden a tree has the ability to take something meant to be destructive and bitter and make it into something beautiful and sweet. And I wonder in that moment did they realize that they're talking to Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, the God that can quench the thirst that they can't quench on their own, the God who can heal their dehydration when they can't heal it on their own, the God who can come in and say, Let me take what was bitter and make it sweet. I am Jehovah Rapha. I wonder if Jesus wondered, Will they call me in this moment Jehovah Rapha? Because I am the God of heals. Or maybe it's Jehovah Roy when David says, you are my shepherd. Not just any shepherd, not just the shepherd, but a personal shepherd. Would they realize that they're sitting there in that moment having a conversation with Jehovah Roy? Did they understand that he is Jehovah Sabaoth? And this one is probably uh, the male type A person in me. This is probably one of my favorite names. I love this one. And you look at this in the Old Testament, and one of my favorite stories is it means the Lord of hosts. There's this moment and and when Elisha is uh, he's giving like God's feeding Elisha inside information, and so there's this king of Aram, and he wants to like destroy the Israelites. And so every day he positions his army to a new spot, gets ready to go, we're gonna take out the Israelites today. And all of a sudden Elisha walks over to the Israelite to the Israelite king and he says, Hey king, you need to know this. The king of Aram's over here. Here's where he's positioned, don't go that way. He's like, all right, great, we got this figured out. Time and time again, until this king of Aram gets so ticked off, he's like, do we have a spy in our midst? Who is giving away our information? And in that moment, like, no, there's no spy, there's a prophet. He keeps telling Israel what's going on. So the king says, all right, rallies up thousands of horses, thousands of men, thousands of chariots, and they surround this small town that the prophet lives in. So they're there. All night they get there. They camp out. And the next morning, Elisha wakes up, rubbing the sleep out of his eyes, stretches. going to go use the restroom, brush his teeth, I don't know. But he kind of wanders outside the camp. He's got a servant with him, kind of stretch it. All of a sudden, he opens one eye. He kind of looks. He's like, oh no. Looks around. An entire army has surrounded the. I mean, they are surrounded all around them. And the servant utterly panics in this moment. He's scared out of his mind. And Elisha's like, you know, he looks at him and the servant's like, what are we going to do? We're going to die. And Elijah says, do you not understand? We have Jehovah Sabaoth. And he says, Lord, open his eyes. Let him see what he cannot see. And all of a sudden, boom, the servant's eyes open up. And he looks around and he doesn't just see the army of Aram. He looks and tens upon thousands, tens of thousands of angels are completely surrounding this army. Thousands upon thousands of chariots, legions of angels. And all of a sudden, that young servant realizes, ah, We have Jehovah Sabaoth. They don't even know what they're about to get hold of. I love it. This is the name that David, David looks at Goliath. He's like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You want to come at me, Goliath, with a sword, a spear, and a javelin? Do you not know? I come at you in the name of Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of legions, of armies. And when David charged Goliath, he knew exactly who had his back. And his name is Jehovah Sabaoth. And his title, his title tells his story. Or maybe it's Jehovah Shalom, everyone who ever encountered God in the Old Testament fell down most of the time as though they were dead. Isaiah says, woe to me, I am ruined, terrified. Moses, when he, when he talks with God, looks like he's gone through some sort of crazy nuclear treatment. He's glowing. I mean, an experience face-to-face with God, uh, you know, is, is a, was a terrifying thing. Well, Gideon has one of those. He's called to go fight the Midianites. And Gideon is this guy who's the least in his family. His family's the least in Israel. I mean, he's just, he's a peon. He's just nothing. And God says, you're going to go defeat the Midianites. And he's like, I don't know. I kind of need a sign. He's like, I'm an angel for crying out loud. I am your sign. He's like, well, I kind of need another one. He's like, are you kidding me? So he grabs his staff. He looks at Gideon and he goes, how about this? Boom, hits a rock. Fire comes out, consumes his sacrifice, is sitting there. And Gideon's like, oh, he's terrified in that moment. And he's looking at you, like, whoa, 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 don't be terrified. I'm not coming to bring you terror. I am Jehovah Shalom. I bring you peace. If I'm here, you're okay. I wonder if they understood who they were talking to. Because his title tells a story. Or maybe Jehovah Shema, the very last verse in the book of Ezekiel, as God gives him the land and he gives him the city and he's journeyed with them and he's been the pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud or he's been, you know, in the tent of meeting or he's been on the mountain with Moses and now he gives him a city and he says, just name the city I am there because I'm going to set up my presence with you and I'm going to be dwelling with you and I'm going to let you be near me and you can just name that city. I am there because my name is Jehovah Shema and I don't leave you and I don't abandon you. And I wonder in that moment if they realize who they're talking to you. And I wonder if Jesus says, are they gonna call me Jehovah Shema? Or finally, I wonder, I wonder if we wonder if they call him Jehovah Siddiqui because he, he is a righteousness He's the one, the prophet Jeremiah says, a branch will come from David. A son of David will come and he will make things righteous. He will set things right. Do they realize that what they were powerless to do, what they were powerless to accomplish on their own, that he says, you don't have to do it. My name is Jehovah Siddiqui. I make you righteous. You don't make yourself that. My name is Jehovah Siddiqui. I am your righteousness. I wonder if they understood who it was they were talking to. So he looks at him and he asks Peter, who do you say that I am? And he says, you are the Christ. You see, that name is big. That name is huge. See, Jesus Christ is not his, like, formal name. It's not like you, you pull up my driver's license and it says Samuel Jason French. You don't, you don't pull out Jesus' license, driver's license, or he doesn't fill out his tax form and says, my name is Jesus Christ is not his last name. Christ is his title. Christ is not just his, it's not a surname, it's a title to tell who he is. He's the one that 2,000 years ago Abraham said was coming. He's the one that you know 66 major prophecies and 300 minor prophecies have fulfilled. This is the one that they've all been waiting for. The anointed one they said was coming. The political one that they thought they were going to get is going to be much bigger than that. He's going to be the messianic king that's going to usher in a new kingdom. He's going to set the captives free. He is the Christ. It's not a t- name, it's a title. And in this moment he looks, who do you say that I am? And Peter says... You're the Christ. You're the son of God. You're the anointed one. You're the Messiah. I don't know. I don't think Peter had that himself. In fact, Matthew says, Jesus looks at Peter and says, oh, these words didn't come from you. They were given by my father. Do you understand who he is? It's interesting as you look back at those names and you think about who Jesus is and what he has accomplished And you realize that in John 8, he looks at the religious teachers in John 8, 58, and he says, very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was, ego me, I am. That moment, they want to kill him. Jesus very clearly states, I am. And he pulls that phrase going all the way back to Genesis. He pulls that phrase going all the way back to Exodus. He wants everyone to know, to make no mistake, that I am the promised one. And he fulfills every one of these names as the anointed one. When you look at him in that same mountain where Abraham took his son and he realized that he was going to be sacrificing Isaac, and God provides, you know, he provides a substitute. In that moment, God is Jehovah Jireh because when a sacrifice was necessary, God provides the way. And in that moment, he says, I am the sacrifice that God provides. My name is Jehovah Jireh. I am. Ego me, I am. I am Jehovah Jireh. I am the provision. I wonder if they understood that. I wonder if John the Baptist even knew what he was saying when he said in John 129, he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Or did they understand when they said that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but would have eternal life. Paul understood it when he wrote that he did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. He is Jehovah Jireh. He's also Jehovah Mekedishkim. Hebrews 10.10 10 says that we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. You don't have to get your act cleaned up. You don't have to bring everything together. You don't have to somehow you know, figure out life before you can come to Jesus. His name is Jehovah Mekedishkim. He is the one that sanctifies you. You don't have to do it yourself. You show up in this place for all of the ugliness, for all of the sin, for all of the dumb things that you and I have done, for everything that we have done to to, to almost alienate ourselves from God, even intentionally at times. And he says, stop worrying about all of that. My name is Jehovah Mokadishkim and I am the one who can sanctify you. I can make you holy. When everybody else in the world thinks you can't ever be holy because of what you've done, my name is Jehovah Mokadishkim and I can sanctify you. I can make you holy. Put your trust in me. But they realize he's Jehovah Nissi? In Romans 8, 31, it says, What then shall we say in response to these sayings? If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 32, chapter 8 of Romans. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Hmm. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against them whose God has chosen? It's God who justifies Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died and more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, it's written for your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered a sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, through outstretched arms, Through all these things, we are more than conquerors to him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is Jehovah Nissi. And when he stands on our behalf with those outstretched arms, he stands for us and says, I am the one who fights your battle. My outstretched arms have won this war. Do you realize do you realize, fellas, who I am? When you say I'm the Christ, I am Jehovah Nisi, I am your banner, I am your provision. I have already proved that I will and can and will defeat the enemy. And the battle's won through outstretched arms. Jehovah Rapha. 1 Peter 2.22 says this he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When herdler insulted him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself who judged justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. He shows up in this moment. He says, I am Jehovah Rapha, and I can heal your pain. He says, I'm Jehovah Roy. I am the good shepherd. Jehovah Sabaoth in Revelation chapter 5 he looks and he hears a loud voice meaning thousands upon thousands, 10,000 upon ten thousands of angels. They encircle the throne, the living creatures and elders, and a loud voice are saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and glory and honor and praise Then I every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne, the lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, amen, and the elders fell down in worship. And in that moment, you see him controlling and in authority over every principality, over every ruler. He says, I am Jehovah Sabaoth. I rule this world. And when he rose from the dead, he conquered Satan underneath his feet. And he is, he is the Lord of hosts. He rules the angels. He rules all the domains of darkness. He conquers. And he says, I'm the Lord of hosts. And anytime you have a Goliath coming at you, and anytime you've got something coming at you, you realize, I, I can call on the God who is my Savior, my Christ, because he is Jehovah Sabaoth. And he is a mighty, mighty warrior. He's also Jehovah Shalom. And because of him, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is Jehovah Shema." And he promises to give us a city. Yes, Emmanuel, God with us, as it says in Matthew, also promises Revelation to be in that city with you and with me and will dwell with him for eternity. They didn't understand who it was in that moment they were talking to when and he says, who do you say that I am? Do you know who I am? I am Jehovah Siddiqui. I am the one who through my blood, you can be made righteousness. God made him to be, who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. In that moment, he looks at them and he says, do you know who I am? Who do you say that I am? I'm the fulfillment of everything promised. I'm the fulfillment of everything they said was coming and I'm sitting here with you today. My name is Jesus and I am the Christ. And they realize that in that moment when Jesus looks at them. He was the one they had been waiting for. That name... Is an important name. Philippians tells us in chapter 2, it says that therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. Who do you say that he is? I mean, the truth of the matter is, we will all come to terms with his identity one way or the other. We will. There's gonna be a moment where you get to come to terms with who, who is he? And Mark talked about it last week, be it liar, lunatic, or Lord. In this moment, he looks not just at the disciples, he peers in this room right into the very soul of who you are, and he asks you this question, who do you say that I am? Because there will come a day when He returns. And on that day, you've got to determine, before that day, you've got to determine, what do you do with Jesus? Revelation writes it, it says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and true." With justice, he, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on it that no one knows but himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies, Jehovah Sabaoth, the armies of heaven are following him. Hmm. Riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword. Which is strike down the nations. He'll rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh. He is a name that is written. King of kings and Lord of lords. Who do you say that I am? I'm the promised one he says. I'm the Christ. The son of God. The anointed one is what he says. I'm Jehovah Sabaoth. I'm Jehovah Siddiqui, Jehovah Mokadishkim, Jehovah Roy. I'm the fulfillment of everything that was coming. And at this moment, he looks at these men and he says, who do you say that I am? Because your title, mind you, your title tells your story. I wonder what your title will be. There's a moment where you stand before the Father I'm just curious, what will your title be? Because your title will tell your story and employed or unemployed won't matter. Married or single won't matter. Beast or bench warmer won't matter. As you stand before Yahweh and stand before Jehovah, what will your title be? Because your title will tell your story. I pray as the God of heaven looks at you, that your title is redeemed. That you can say, this is my title. Because of your son and his sacrifice, because of nothing I did on my own, because of what your son conquered on the cross and what he conquered through the resurrection, because of Jesus, I am redeemed. And no failure, no divorce, no separation, no unemployment, no loss of life, none of that tells my story. The only thing that tells my story is the one title I hold most dear. And my title tells my story. There's a true story about a guy named Arnold Shackleton who led an expedition into the Antarctic. It's a difficult expedition because the ship he is sailing in is called the Endurance. And ice surrounds the Endurance and crushes the boat. You're in the Antarctic, for crying out loud. The boat is crushed. (laughs) They have to get off the boat and leave it in the middle of the Antarctic, ice all around them. The boat literally is just crumbling. And they take these little lifeboats, they pull them across the ice, and eventually they're able to get into water, and they they make it to this place called Elephant Island. It is just a desolate place. There's no vegetation. The only thing they can live on is if they can catch a penguin or a seal to eat. There's 20-plus men In that moment, Shackleton looks at the men. He says, listen, I've got to go away, but I'm going to bring back hope and help. You stay here. He had about two or three other guys. They set sail for South Georgia Island, hoping they'll make it. At what really is one of those ridiculous feats of exploration and navigation known to man. But he leaves this group of 20-some men on Elephant Island, and he leaves Frank Wilde in charge. Frank Wilde is a guy that kind of oversees the 20 guys there. And they're there from the end of April all the way till the end of August. Frank Wilde keeps these guys focused. And every morning, Frank does the same thing. He says, Boys, time to wake up. Wake up, boys, roll up the bags. Wake up, boys, roll them up. And every morning, he would wake the boys up from underneath the boats. They'd roll up their bags, roll up their little blankets. And all the men would gather at the very tip of the shore with the water almost at their toes. And they would look out and scan the horizon. And Frank Wilde would say every day, Wake up, boys. Roll up the bags. Meet me at the shore. Because today may be the day the boss comes back. Today may be the day the captain returns. And on that day, what will your title be? On the day that you see faithful and true and King of Kings and Lord of Lords, on the day you see Christ return, knowing that every knee will bow and every tongue confess, I just ask you two simple questions. Who do you say that he is? And will your title tell your story?